the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Ghost and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. Our recent shows in Magic Markets Premium have included platforms like TripAdvisor, technology businesses like Salesforce, luxury consumer brands like LVMH and Aston Martin, and even an old-school industrials group like 3M. For just 99 Rand a month and no minimum commitment, there is no better way to learn about international stocks and how to research them. Visit magic-markets.com to sign up today. Welcome to episode 133 of Magic Markets. This happens to be my old racing number from uh, karting pre-pandemic. There's a useless piece of trivia for you today in today's edition of Spot the Ghost. You don't have to spot the ghost today, though. Uh, we have to spot Mo. He's currently off screen. Oh, he's back. But the person we're really here to spot today is uh, Wandile Sishlobu, who is an extremely learned fellow. I'm just going to give the sort of very high level, then we'll say hello to Mo. I'm not going to give Mo any kind of intro here. This is all about Wandile. Wandile is the chief economist of the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa. He's written, I think, more than one book. He's the senior lecturer extraordinary at the Department of Agricultural Economics at Stellenbosch University, which means he's very good. Probably means something else, but I'm taking it as very good. He's the visiting research fellow at the Witt School of Governance. I mean, the list goes on and on. He's a member of President Cyril Ramaphosa's Presidential Economic Advisory Council. In fact, that's where he was. We just dragged him out from there. So if South Africa is now ruined, it's largely our fault. And that's also why he's wearing a tie. Um, he works with Stats SA. He writes lots of columns. He does podcasts. He, yeah, Wandile, I don't know. I don't often say this, but I think he might be busier than me. I didn't know that was possible. Let me at least say hello to Mo, though, and then we can give you the limelight. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just basking in the greatness of our guest today. I mean, my claim to fame here is quite frankly that I once had the pleasure of, of working with Wandile and having him decline a job offer that I'd made him. And I think that's been the best trade of your life, Wandile, definitely, because otherwise you'd be stuck on a podcast with me and Ghost. And we've managed to drag you out here as a, as a guest anyways. Wandile, always a pleasure chatting to you. You're a very, very busy man. And you are the brain that we want to pick when it comes to all matters, agriculture, in South Africa, as well as globally, welcome to Magic Markets. No, thanks so very much, folks, for, for having me on. And indeed, Ghost more almost hired me there and he pulled the offer on the table. I demanded a higher salary and then he told me to go away. And the Stellenbosch University, when, when you are told that you are extraordinary lecture, that means that you don't get paid. It doesn't mean you are that good. <laughs> So that was the problem is Mo, Mo thought you were extraordinary and then didn't want to pay you for the privilege. He learned from the world of academia. No, just kidding. So, Wandila, you've been with us before. It was on episode 29. So this is episode 133. So we run it one a week. So that means two years, basically, since you were on Magic Markets. It's so cool to have you back. And, and look, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot to talk about, right? We've had some pretty crazy weather this week. I made a terrible dad joke this morning in Ghost Mail about how you know, Marcus Joerster's assets now have something in common with Joburg in that both are frozen. And um, obviously this potentially means a lot for, well, I don't think the snow day in Joburg means much for agriculture, but weather patterns definitely do. And you've been talking about, you know, it's El Nino, it's El Nina or La Nina, I'm not actually sure. Sounds a bit like a Spanish football game. But I think you can probably hit us off with, you know, what does this stuff mean? And just a little bit about what are you looking at at the moment? You know, we're going to have a nice high-level chat today and just understand how these weather patterns are playing out in the agricultural industry. And I think we can talk a little bit about some of the companies playing in that space as well. 
Yeah, I think to to kick off, I mean, with the weather stuff, of course, when it snowed, many people are probably worried to say, look, South Africa at this time, it's a winter season, farmers are harvesting their soybeans, maize, sunflower, and they were worried about the quality of the crop to say, if it snowed, does that affect the quality and, of course, the prices then of those commodities? But in all of the conversation that I've had with the farmers over the past two days, it doesn't look like there's any problem. So I think we're still sitting on fairly well. And I think if I think back on our previous conversation and today we now having a conversation where South Africa is having the second best agricultural season on record especially when you think about the grains and the oil seeds we have the second biggest maize uh, crop uh, right now about 16.4 million tons and if you think about soybeans 2.8 million tons that's the record soybean so things are looking reasonably well on grains but of course if you are in poultry or you are in the livestock it's a different uh, space there the conditions have been tough for those guys. Yeah, Wandela, I'm going to jump in because I, I think before we go into the real specifics around individual commodities and then try and bring that into a markets discussion, I mean, agriculture on a very macro level, in my view at least, has always been one of the highest potential sectors in South Africa. And I'll, I'll tell our listeners the reason why I like it is that you get labor intensity. So for example, you get to employ a lot of people. It's a sector that has the potential to employ a lot of people. Over and above that, food security, that's a global imperative. And South Africa, again, has, I would say, punched above its weight when it comes to, for example, its agricultural sector. But the problem here is that agriculture still makes up, correct me if I'm wrong, around, what, 3 to 4% of GDP. So it's still a very tiny proportion of the overall GDP pie. And yes, I take the point that, you know, as economies mature, you go from kind of primary industries into secondary industries and then into tertiary and maybe South Africa prematurely deindustrialized. But what is the investment case for agri in South Africa? You're saying we're having these record years. Are we able to monetize that? Are we able to actually push that through into the export market? Or has this been predominantly a domestic story? And again, I kind of know the answer, but I want you to give us some insights for our listeners in terms of where's the export performance come through and within the overall agricultural basket, what has been the highest potential as well as the highest performing sectors in your estimation? Sure. Let me link this back with uh, Ghost's point here to say, look, you raised the point that we have these weather patterns, El Nino, La Nina. The past four years, we were in a La Nina period, which means that above average rainfall across Southern Africa, while the folks say in South America have been having uh, tough droughts. And that has assisted us a lot in, in getting sure that we, we, we get good harvest across all, all of our crops. And it's been a windfall for people that have been on the grains uh, to the point that we made. But if you were a user of that because of the wars, because of China buying a lot of grain, the prices have not really responded to that massive supplies that, that, that we've been having. So if you are a user of grain on livestock on poultry, you, you, you've you really had a difficult time on that. But then link this back to, to Mo's point to say, look, what are we doing with all of these products? Are we really punching above our weight? Are we at capacity? You're right on a point that agriculture still plays a reasonably small part in the economy if you're thinking about primary agriculture. But of course, when you consider the interlinkages of the agro processing space, you take that number from 2.5% to about 9% when you consider the entire value chain. So that's really massive. And that's 9% on an economy perspective, but it's also about 9% even on a jobs perspective, because there's a lot of people there that are working 880,000 people in primary agriculture, and then you have over 
450,000 people working in the agro-processing space. But still, we're not at full capacity because we still in South Africa have give or take around about 4 million hectares that we could still bring into production on the various commodities, livestock, crops, and the likes that we can do there. But I think the investment case in here is on two things. Firstly, if you're thinking about the high impact spaces to say, we want to have a social good while at the same time making sure that we get our returns back. Then agriculture is a space to think about. But I think there's more value also around the processing side rather than the primary agricultural side. And I think that's where folks really have to be paying attention on and saying, can they explore on that? And on exports, I mean, we've had a brilliant time. Last year, in value terms, for example, South Africa's agricultural sector hit a record export with about $12.8 billion. And I think this year, again, we're still going to see good performance, even though we face logistics and many problems in South Africa. So this is a space that is essentially vibrant. But I'll close off again with Ghost's point to say there are these weather dynamics. Because while we've had that good time with a La Nina weather system, we're now moving towards what could potentially be a drought, which is the El Nino weather system starting from around about October. Yeah, I, I want to jump in again, because that's that's very interesting in that you kind of juxtapose El Nino, La Nina, it's us versus South America. And anecdotally, I mean, I always, I love going to the grocery store and we get South African citrus here in Canada. We get South African grapes here in Canada. We, we get a fair amount of South African produce. It's really good produce. But anecdotally, more recently, I've been seeing more South American produce than I've been actually seeing South African produce. Now, I don't know if that's a logistical issue. Maybe it's just seasonal, you know, kind of swings in roundabouts. But I want to ask you one direct question before I go over to Ghost, who I know is waiting with another question. And that is, if I'm looking at playing this on a macro basis regionally, does it always run in that kind of cycle where I would be effectively long South African agri production in one season and short South American production in that same season? And then when the weather pattern inverts, I actually go the other way around. Would that be a fair estimation or a simplistic estimation? No, I think that's a fair estimation and you can play it in that way or you can even play it with East Africa and Southern Africa. Because when Southern Africa is having a La Nina and all of this rain, I mean, in East Africa, the guys will be hit by a drought on that. And I think, let me just quickly make a point on that exports perspective. I mean, you're right when you talk about the seasonality. Because South Africa's agricultural exports, I mean, are well diversified across the globe. You have about 40% of our exports in the African continent, mainly the SADC region. Then you have about 25% of our agricultural exports within the Middle East and Asia. Then you have about 20%, that's the EU region. Then of course the UK is one of the important markets with roughly 7% or so for our exports. So we're well diversified and the Americas have a little bit that goes there, which is why this discussion on Agoa and the others becomes very important specifically for citrus and wine and nuts in agriculture. Yeah, you'll struggle to find something more politically charged, I think, than agriculture and the exports around it, ranging from land ownership. I mean, that's touching at the very core of issues in South Africa, and we won't go into that today. But I think what you mentioned earlier is there's a social element to the returns in primary agriculture. And there's a very important point there, which is primary agriculture is not this land of milk and honey, you know, literally. It just isn't. Uh, sometimes you can make really good money in a given year, but through the cycle, it's super tough. And there are not a lot of companies on the JSC that play in this space, but they are there. Crooks Brothers, good example, very illiquid. 
but very tough recent numbers. York Timber is another one that's been an eternal disappointment. There's a lot in the sort of fishing space, actually, for some reason, a bunch of listed companies there. You know, there's quite a lot in the poultry space as well, and, and that's always very visible, and you can quickly see how avian flu plays out there, load shedding. I mean, it's tough stuff. I think for investors, you know, you can smooth a lot of that by going one level up the value chain, you know, and playing in, you know, industrial businesses that provide the parts that are in the tractors that are used on the farms and that kind of stuff, you know, and, and I guess that smooths out returns, but still you've got to be careful of drought situations, for example. I mean, a great, a great example I would give is something like Impact, which is packaging, and they supply a whole lot of fruit export farmers, particularly for export to Europe, as far as I know. Now, obviously, when the crop is good, Impact is doing well. If the crop is not good, then Impact would either need to find new people to sell the packaging to or, or figure something out, you know. So that's something for investors to just keep an eye on. And I guess that's where understanding primary agriculture is important for investors because it's not just about the farms. It's about the levels up in the value chain. No, absolutely. Uh, that, that's the thing. And, and I mean, of course, you will see what's happening in the farms and all of those guys that are providing their inputs, either it's fertilizers, agrochemicals, tractors. Those are some of the companies that really benefit out of that. And of course, the others that are in the processing space, it matters a lot what's going on in the commodities. So keeping an eye on that, it's very important to understand all of the innings of the food, fiber and the beverages businesses. But I think South Africa generally is a vibrant space and there's still a lot more potential in general than in primary as well as in the processing side. Something else I just want to touch on, if Mo let me jump in again, is in the mining sector, a lot of the recent results have been saying how the rainfall has been a challenge. You know, so as much as the good rainfall actually helps agri, it tends to cause problems for mining, actually. So interestingly enough, the weather pattern, I mean, there's, a, there's lots more to it than this. Don't go and not trade mining versus agri based on the weather only. But it's just interesting for me because as South Africa, from a GDP perspective, you know, and, and obviously just wanting the best for this country, there's almost a little bit of a natural hedge there, right? So when farming's maybe not doing so well because there's a bit of a drought, mining maybe does a bit better. But of course, commodity prices really define how that plays out in practice because that doesn't stay constant. But is that a fair, is that a fair statement? Is there a teeny little bit of a hedge there for us? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think so. But but overall, I mean, in agriculture, I do think there, there can be too much rain. Uh, there can be something that is called too much rain. I mean, this year, for example, we were late by roughly a month or more than a month in some of the other areas to an extent that we started getting worried to say, look, are we really going to be able to get some good harvest out of this? But fortunately, we had good sunshine in appropriate time around about February, and then we we're able to get the, the good yields. But there is that, that sort of a dynamic that you, you, you outlined there between the mining and the agricultural side. But I think all being equal, we still prefer a bit of more rainfall. When did I want to jump in now, maybe with, with bring it back towards a much more markets discussion, just again, mainly for, for my own benefit selfishly. And the reason I want to go here is that it's actually been a reasonably volatile time when it comes to soft commodities. I mean, let's just rewind to recent history, the onset of the Ukraine war. And we saw what that did to, for example, soft prices when it came to wheat. We saw you know, it come through in terms of corn in general. We had these spikes. And then everything kind of abated. And again, I, I call it the Ukraine war. There were global supply chain issues and so forth. I mean, we saw lumber, for example, in the US was, was completely insane. You know, I think it, it, it got to levels where we were like well over a thousand. And now we're at half that. 
You know, if you look at corn, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm using the US future now. I know there might be some sort of similarities to South African maize prices there. But if you look at corn just over the last year, global corn prices are down around 23%. So it's very volatile. We know it's a difficult time for, I guess, farmers to try and manage risks around that because, you know, what happens with the commodity price then informs what happens with plantings and planning over the course of the next year. And then that is how these kind of cyclicality kind of comes into commodity prices. And the last point I want to touch on here, and it's maybe a market that's not as prevalent in South Africa, but maybe you have a view on this because we look at agriculture, forestry and fishing. Ghost has touched on fishing. Forestry is something that's quite big up here in Canada. And we've had these horrendous wildfires. I mean, I've had the, the air quality here in you know, the outskirts of Toronto being probably amongst the worst in the world because of the wildfires happening. And you've started to see an uptick in terms of lumber prices off their lows. What is your estimation on where do commodity prices go? First of all, maybe starting off with a soft basket like wheat and corn, stuff that's important to South Africa, and then maybe a bit more of a global lens when you look at things like soy, that's actually done reasonably well, I must say, and then lumber. Yeah, I mean, you, you're 100% correct on that. And, and in fact, South Africa does track what's going on internationally. And I think nowadays what happens in Beijing or in Chicago or somewhere in Canada matters more than what happens in free state when you're thinking about the, the prices at this point. To an extent that, I mean, you think back last year, South Africa was having all of these record crops, but on a pricing side, there was literally not much reaction, which is why poultry farmers were paying these high prices. But of course, if you were a maize farmer in free state, you had a big crop and you have a higher maize prices. So that was a reasonably better time for you, even though, though you were paying a lot for your fertilizers and your agrochemicals, which South Africa imports over 80% of its annual consumption. So that's another point on a, on a cost-based side. But I think right now, I mean, we are somewhere roughly 20% down compared to last year, which is why we were glad that we're having the second biggest grains harvest because it's we able to somewhat cover some through the yields, some of the losses that we're experiencing on prices and make sure that the farming sector remain reasonably profitable on this. But I mean, when I look at the supplies that are available and also coming up in the 2023-24 marketing year in the global grains, either looking at global wheat, global corn production, global soybean production, I think we're looking at a reasonably fairly uh, a good crop because of the recovery that we're seeing in South America. To that extent, I think prices will remain somewhat under pressure, really coming off, but we're not going back to the 2019 level anytime soon. I think we will be down from the past uh, two years, but not back to the levels of 2019. And that must be the issue only on the food crops, because I think when you're talking about the lumber now, there, there are some of those issues that you're talking about, about the wildfires, which of course, they are a threat on the supply. Then you will see those prices recovering. While on the grain and the all seeds, there you will see somewhat downward pressures continuing on that space. That's what we're looking at at this point here in South Africa, which is why some of the colleagues were really worried to say, look, if the grain prices are coming under pressure and at the same time we hit another dry season, then this may be really one of the toughest ones after having four years of good financially solid years. But, but again, maybe better for poultry, right? I mean, if the input costs then come off, then again, you know, there are going to be winners and losers. If some of your feedstock prices come off, that might give some relief to, I mean, that chicken industry ghost, that's been a very tough one. It's been reasonably hard hit as well. So maybe a breath of relief there. I'm just trying to find the silver lining to some of the clouds is that, you know, when some sectors 
lose out, other sectors might stand to win. I see Wendile wants to jump in here. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a point. I mean, I, I put, I have an article on Business Day that, that, that colleagues will find out, which actually pushes that particular point to say, look, the, anyone who's on a dairy farming or who's somewhere in a red meat or in a poultry space, you've had like very difficult time. And of course, with South African problems added to that, load shedding municipalities that are failing. But for the first time now, you're really going to be able to afford your soybeans, afford your maize for a reasonable better period. So that's that's a better a better outlook for those guys uh, in, a, in a near to medium term. I'll give you a silver lining. My little boy loves tractors and those sales were up 13% year on year in June 2023 at 930 units. I know this. Because I'm on Agricultural Economics Today, also known as wandilesishlobo.com, which I highly recommend visiting and subscribing to so you get regular goodness in your inbox from Wandile. I think I have time for one more question and then we need to bring this to a close. And maybe a very personal one, just, you know, again, uh, I'm still in South Africa and hoping this place works out despite a lot of the doomsday stuff you hear out there. There seems to have been another wave of immigration of skills in the last sort of year or so. I think post-COVID, I think obviously load shedding, etc. Is this impacting the agricultural industry? Are people still finding it quite lucrative to stay here, stay in the farming business? Are you seeing, generally speaking, sales of farms, people trying to get out, go and farm elsewhere in the world? That Food security obviously is the big question here. You know, how is that looking? No, I think on farming side, I mean, you, you have a lot of patriots that are, that are sitting here. And so I think people are still sticking in. I mean, in general, in South Africa, you have somewhere between 2,000 to 4,000 farms that are on sale a, a year that are out there. People can buy and all of those. So it's a liquid market on, on, on farms. But generally, folks are staying on. And we also see a bit of expansion in some farms. And you see this even if you're looking at the agricultural debt. Uh, it's growing at somewhere about 9% on a year-on-year basis, but that doesn't mean farmers are not paying back. It means that they are getting that money, they're expanding and doing all exciting things, and also adding more investments on a high-tech space within the agriculture, which is something that is very important. The agri-tech is really growing and, and an important segment within the South African agriculture. So we need the Springboks to keep doing well and keep those patriotic farmers in check, and hopefully if they do too well, the related brandy consumption won't impact productivity on the farm. That'll be my last comment on uh, <laughs> on, the, on the drivers of agriculture in South Africa, I'll let Mo uh, close us out there. Yeah, Wandela, I, I want to echo kind of what you're saying there. I think when you look at agri in South Africa, certainly some of the, the deal flow I've seen has been more around expanding capacity. It's around capital investment. It's about building scale of smaller farms where you can into a commercial entity. Those, those are all positive tailwinds, which I must say, you know, South Africans sometimes tend to scratch around a lot for the good news. Agriculture, thankfully, and Wandile Sishlobo is always there to give us some good news when it comes to agri. I want to just end off on one last point, and that is that Magic Markets is making connections around the world. A guest that we had had on Magic Markets not too long ago, Rachel Ziemba, was recently in South Africa. Uh, Wandile, I, I, I chat to Rachel often, and she told me that she did meet you at the recent, was it a wine symposium? So at least we know agriculture is coming with some fun out there in Stellenbosch, and that's actually keeping you maybe out of trouble or perhaps getting in trouble. But I'm very glad that Magic Markets had some international relations role of connecting someone like Rachel with yourself, Wandile. I actually love that because Rachel, Rachel had a drink with me in Cape Town the day before she went to that symposium, although she had a beer, so maybe she doesn't want the world to know that. She didn't have wine. But uh, yeah, it's <laughs> funny how small the circle actually is, right? Wandile, thank you. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Again, I think, you know, there's so much to unpack in this space. We definitely can't wait another two years before we have you back here on Magic Markets because 
I really like unpacking this. We unpacked so much today, not just on a macro basis, but on a market basis. And I still have a couple of questions. I mean, but we, we can keep that for, for something offline or maybe a future show. But our listeners can find you on Twitter. It's at Wandile Sislobo. Thank you so much for coming on to Magic Markets. Our listeners who don't know, we're on Twitter as well. It's at Magic Markets Pod. You can find me at Mohammed Nala as well as at Finance Ghost. We hope you've enjoyed this episode 133. And until next week, same time, same place. Wandile, thanks for being on Magic Market. Thank you. Ciao. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.